The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, welcome everyone to today's forum. Uh, if it's your first time here, my name is Mark Leong, and you've joined us at a good time because today we're finishing off Science Month at the Forum. Over the last month, we've been putting science under the microscope and kind of running a series of experiments on science, you know, doing science on science, so to speak. On the first week, if you are, let me take you through our journey this month. On the first week, we asked ourselves, what can science observe when it comes to God? And we found out that when it comes to God, we want to place God under a microscope. We have very specific questions about him. But science is not that microscope to answer those questions. Science is more like a magnifying glass, which gives us some vague details about God. But actually, the microscope we're looking for is in the Bible, where God speaks. The second week, we looked at the origins of science. When it comes to science and God, do they compete? And we heard that, historically speaking, Christianity was the engine room which drove modern science. From the beginning, they were actually compatible. And last week, we had a panel discussion with scientists from various uh, fields, astrophysics, genetics, and philosophy. And we asked them, how far can science take us on the question of purpose? And today we continue that discussion by looking at science and ethics. We have Dr. Lewis Jones with us, and he's gonna, we're going to look at this question, experiment with this question. Can science teach us to be good? What kind of morality does science give us? So I'm going to invite Dr. Lewis Jones to come up now. Uh, briefly, uh, as he's coming up, uh, if, uh, we'd love this to be a kind of conversation. So on the next slide at the bottom, there'll be an SMS number. Uh, you can grab your mobile phone and SMS any questions. And after Lewis, there's a question and answer time. And you're more than happy to do that. Alternatively, if you'd like to kind of go old school, there's a white sheet of paper inside and you can write that down and someone will collect that and we'll ask those questions from the floor. Uh, we'll be finished by 1.50 so you can head back uh, to your various workplaces. Lewis. All right. Well, uh, afternoon. It's good to see everybody. <laughs> um, it's good to be back. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if, um, I, I've got three kids anyway, we learned that a few weeks ago and um, I don't know if you you know those extra shirt buttons that uh, you know kind of sewn into the inside of uh, of, of your shirt, um, and well, I found myself unpicking those buttons from some old shirts the other day because my son wanted to build a rocket control panel um, out of a uh, cardboard box and um, and some shirt buttons because they were good buttons for a rocket uh, control panel. And um, the now I, I mean the parents out there will will, will understand that this kind of uh, situation sort of repeats itself in different guises um, all, all the time, um, but it did cause me strangely. I may, it, you may think uh, to ponder on this question of 
sort of creation and design and purpose. Um, because here I was using shirt buttons for rocket uh, for a rocket control panel button and a cardboard box for the kind of console. And I thought, well, now what right do I have to use these shirt buttons in this way? And how do I know these things are shirt buttons in the first place? It, these kinds of questions came to mind as I was engaged in this um, in this operation. And now you, those may seem like trivial sort of <laughs> sort of questions. Um, fair enough, but um, perhaps less ridiculous. Um, we can ask, uh, they're the kinds of questions that we're asking about all sorts of things in society at the moment, anyway. So, for, so you know, to go from the sort of ridiculous maybe to the sublime or something um, in that direction, we could ask the same kinds of questions about reproductive organs, right? Um, what are the morally accepted, acceptable uses of reproductive organs? How do you find out? How do you know that they're reproductive organs? What are the characteristics of them? Um, why are they made the way they are? And then things like marriage, the institution of marriage. Who gets to say what marriage is? That's a current topic. Um, what do we do with embryos that no one seems to want? How do we receive asylum seekers who want to come to Australia? Um, what's a fair maternity leave scheme? What do you do with carbon that you don't want, etc.? How do you price it properly and, and so on? You can also ask questions about us as individuals and just as human beings. Um, how do I work? What, what are my various functionalities? Uh, why do I work this way? What am I for? How would I find out if I wanted to know? What's the range of morally acceptable uses for a human being, for me and, and, and for you? Um, and these questions bring up um, one larger question, which I want to investigate today, which is, what's the relationship between science and ethics, or, or the, the nature of things, how things work, what they're made of, so the nature of things, and the rightness of action. How are those two ideas related to each other? That's what I want to investigate today. And so, so there are two kind of big questions I want to get, get to. One of them is that one, um, the relationship between science and ethics. So we're not going to actually answer any ethical questions today. Um, it's just the relationship between science and ethics. Um, but the second one is then, how is your view of ultimate reality related to your moral reasoning, related to your ethical framework? How, how are those things related? Okay. So the first, the first big question is um, the, this relationship between science and ethics. And we can kind of... Um, uh, Represent this question in this, this sort of form of a semi-pseudo equation, um, where we have science and we have ethics and and what's in between. Okay, so that's the that's the framework for our discussion today. It's going to be this sort of equation. Now, it's not really an equation, of course, um, but we could start by let's let's start by asking ourselves though um, the question of if. Well, let's plug in for those question marks. Let's plug in nothing, okay? Let's plug in nothing for those question marks. Um, the, and, and that represents the idea that you don't need anything else um, other than to understand the way things are made, how they work, how things function, in order to understand how to use them appropriately, okay? So um, th there's this direct relation. There's something in the nature of things that points you in the direction of what's the right 
course of action to take. So um, is there something about a shirt button that tells me in and of itself um, how to use it or what I'm supposed to use it for? Um, but let me let me just uh, let me tell you uh, my answer to this question uh, pretty quickly, and that is I don't think that's going to answer our problem. And I'll and I'll show you just a little um, uh, teaser here. Uh, here's here's the web page. Well, the, the header from the web page of the Human Research Ethics Committee at the University of New South Wales. And um, if you look halfway down or so, there I am on there and um, on this committee. Now the interesting thing here is not that I'm on this committee necessarily, but um, the the interesting thing is the composition of the committee. The requirements for the composition of the Human Research Ethics Committee at UNSW. There are scientists and and so on, but there is there has to be at least one minister of religion on the committee. So, if the University of New South Wales, and in fact this is a national standard um, that they're, they're um, adhering to, if the nation of Australia thought that all you needed was the science of things to work out what is right, what is good, then what in the world am I doing on that committee? Why, why, is, why do they require a minister of religion um, to be on that committee? Um, so the University of New South Wales and the ethics um, uh, sort of standards of Australia actually don't believe that um, there is a direct relationship <laughs> between science and um, and ethics, the the, the uh, rightness of action. So let me let me just illustrate this um, with a couple of scenarios. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of statements here on the screen, and your job. I'll give you 20 seconds in between each statement. Your job is simply to complete the sentence. Okay, and so the sentences will all be in this format. Um, you know, Something is true, so you know X is true. Therefore, we should, and you have to fill in Y. You have to fill in what we should do, okay, as a result of the truth of these statements. All right. So, so here we go. Uh, the universe, um, uh, the, uni- the, the visible mass in the universe is arranged like soap bubbles in a sink. Therefore, we should. Now, in your own head, I, actually, I'll let, you, I'll let you do it in your own head because otherwise it might slow us down too much. You've got, you've got about 15 seconds left. Complete that, uh, complete that statement. It's an amazing world, universe we live in. It's a fascinating picture. Okay, that's enough of that. Um, second one, the ice caps are melting, therefore we should... Fill in your answer. Alright. Feel free to whisper to each other if you want to. That's alright. Okay. Asylum seekers die at sea coming to Australia. Therefore, we should. Okay, and the last one, smoking, kill, smoking tobacco kills 15,000 people every year in Australia, therefore we should. All 
All right. Well, look, well done. I'm sure you came up with some great answers uh, to those, to, well, completions of those statements. So I, I wonder for statement number one about the universe, whether you came up with the idea that we should offer sacrifices of dishwashing liquid um, to the universe on, on altars shaped like kitchen sinks. Was that, was that the conclusion to the, to the first one? That was, that was one that I thought of. Um, the, the, second, the, the, the second one, um, the second one about the ice caps, did you think, oh, well, this is beautiful because Australia is actually in need of fresh water, so maybe we should harvest the water from the ice caps, the melting ice caps. That would be a great thing for Australia, so, you know, that's a good thing. Um, I don't know, about the asylum seekers, well, if we, if we know that some of them are dying at sea, and we don't want any of them to come to Australia, then maybe we should sink all of the boats ourselves rather than just randomly let them um, sink or, or make it to Australia um, on their own. Maybe sink all the boats. Or um, the tobacco, um, if, if people are stupid enough to kill themselves with tobacco, maybe what we should do is actually promote the smoking of tobacco, and that way we'll wipe out of the population all the really stupid people in Australia. Right? We, we, we can kill more than 15,000 people a year and, and we'll be much better off. Make a short-term public health bill, but in the long term, a lot smarter people in Australia. Right? I mean, it's it, brilliant. So, um, okay, well, look, now, you guys are already um, smart enough um, to work out that there is some kind of a problem here. Right? With, particularly with my answers. Um, now, so, but the, the problem is that the statement of fact about our world doesn't interpret itself. Right? So your answers may have seemed obvious to you, but wherever you got your answer, it didn't come from the statement itself. You drew on some other perspective to get your answers. That's, that's the basic point. Okay, so and, and what you drew on is something like what you value in life, right? It's what, what you, your your own values, the, what you value in life, in the world, and 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 and, um, and other people, and so on. Right? That's that's what helped you with your answer. Um, and so uh, this idea that um, science plus nothing, in in a sense, the state of things in the world plus nothing is going to give you your ethical outcome, your moral reasoning, is just not going to work, is it? It's not enough. Um, and so that, that equation doesn't, doesn't actually work. Um, and th this is sometimes uh, referred to as the is-ought problem. You can't go from what is, what is true about the world, to what you ought to do. The is-ought problem. Or a fancier term is the naturalistic fallacy. Okay? You can take that one home and impress your friends or something. Um, maybe over afternoon tea. Uh, naturalistic fallacy. Um, so we have this problem that science plus nothing doesn't give you your moral reasoning. So we need to add something in there. We need something in there. So we're back to this. We're back to our original question then. What is this relationship? How do you, what, what do you add in there uh, to give you your moral reasoning? Now, I mentioned a minute ago that, that what we naturally do is we take what we value and we add, them in, add it into, into these, uh, into our to, to form our conclusions about how we act in the world. Um, these things that are important to us. And the, the, the question is then, how do we determine what it is we value? So what's, what's one step back from that? How do we determine what it is we value? 
And I want to suggest that um, that purpose is actually the answer here. And I'll try to I'll try to persuade you of this um, as we go. Okay, the purpose is the answer. Um, something is valuable because it helps. Uh, it, it helps us fulfill. It helps it fulfill its purpose. All right. So let, let's just take an example. What is the purpose purpose of life? Um, you know, simple, easy question. Look, just for the sake of argument today, we're going to say something a little bit vague, like flourishing. Okay, that's that's the that's our reason for living. Our purpose for being alive is to flourish. Well, let's take our asylum seekers. All right. So sinking asylum seeker boats and killing those people um, is not helping those people flourish, is it? Um, and so, in this little scheme uh, for our purpose in life we'd say that it's the wrong thing to do. The purpose for which we are here, for which we are made, tells us then what, helps us work out what the right thing to do is in relation, um, in relation to ourselves. Um, I don't know whether you've thought this through before, uh, consciously or anything, but purpose is this way of giving us a measurement tool um, for measuring right and wrong. How does it work? Well, in theory, it's actually fairly simple. Um, that is, uh, if, is something fulfilling its purpose? Well, that's good. Is something not fulfilling its purpose? That's bad. Um, are you helping something to fulfill its purpose? That's good. Are you hindering something from fulfilling its purpose? That's bad. Um, are you fulfilling your own purpose? That's good, no, bad, etc. Okay? Now, um, Aristotle used this uh, uh, example of an acorn, and he said the purpose or the goal of an acorn is to become an oak tree. Um, so, whatever aids in the fulfillment of that acorn becoming an oak tree uh, is good. It's the right thing to do for that acorn. Um, and if you get in the way of that development, then it's the wrong thing to do. All right. Now, um, the thing is, so how does this help us with science and ethics? Well, you see, I can know the purpose of the acorn, but if I don't know how to get it, how, right, to get the acorn to turn into an oak tree, to grow into an oak tree, then I can't help it achieve its purpose. So I need to know when to plant the acorn and how deep and how much to water and how much sun, what's the temperature of the soil, and so on. I need to know all those things in order to help the acorn fulfill its purpose of becoming an oak tree. And science tells me all those things. Um, but what science doesn't tell me is what the purpose um, of the acorn is. Uh, and so... Um, so without science, I can't actually help the acorn become an oak tree. I won't act rightly toward the acorn. Okay. Now, um, on the other hand, I can know all those things um, about, uh, the, uh, about the acorn, but not know the purpose of the acorn and still um, have a problem. So I th we need both of these things. We need science, the way things work. We need purpose to make our moral measurements. And so... Um, uh, purpose is like this sort of moral measurement scale. So if you have purpose, then you can say, okay, I've got something to measure my actions against. And if you can measure your actions, um, we can make judgments about those actions. Um, and if, if, if someone is going to make judgments about our actions, then our actions have meaning. Our actions take on meaning, genuine meaning in the world. So if we have purpose, we get all the rest of this chain. Now, I'm not going to go into it, say any more about this. You can ask me about it if you want to um, you know, talk about this, uh, this little chain later. But I just thought I'd represent that and you can stare at it for a couple of minutes. Um, so, okay, so um, if you believe anything I've said so far, then we actually have made a little bit of progress. <laughs> and that is, um, uh, that is to say that the relationship between the nature of things 
And the rightness of action, the science and the ethics, is something like this. It's the science plus purpose um, gives us ethics. Now, this is a very simplified um, version of this. People have been debating these questions for, um, well, thousands, um, thousands of years. But there is the, there's the answer to our first big question, the relationship between science and ethics, the nature of things, and the rightness of action. All right. Deep breath. Um, now, uh, the next big question was, um, how does our view of ultimate reality affect this equation? <laughs> okay, how does it affect this equation? Um, and so, um, firstly, um, w- one of the questions is, what will give us purpose? So what view of the world will give us purpose? And um, uh, I don't know if some of you were at John Lennox on Monday night, but um, here's a quote from John Lennox to, to outline why it is I don't think science is going to help us on this scale. So science needs something else. Science needs purpose. But can science actually investigate what purpose is and give us that answer itself? Well, um, here's an illustration from from John Lennox that I think will um, sort of answer that question for us. Um, So let us imagine that my Aunt Matilda um, has baked a beautiful cake, and we take it along to be analyzed by, uh, by a group of the world's top scientists. When these experts have given us an exhaustive description of the cake, um, can we say that the cake is completely explained? We, uh, we have certainly been given a description of how the cake was made and how its constituent elements relate to each other, but suppose I now ask the assembled group of experts a final question. Why was the cake made? The grin on Aunt Matilda's face shows she knows the answer for she made the cake, and she made it for a purpose. In fact, the only way we shall ever get an answer is if Aunt Matilda reveals it to us. But if she does not disclose the answer to us, the plain fact is that no amount of scientific analysis will enlighten us. You see, because science doesn't get us access to purpose. Why? Because science, I mean, purpose is assigned to an object from outside of the object. It's not fundamental, necessarily, to the object. It's assigned from outside. So only the creator or the manufacturer designer um, of the object can pr- definitively pronounce on its purpose. Um, others can guess at that, and you can even get it right sometimes, right? You can guess and you can get it right, but only the creator or designer actually knows the answer. And so you will never be certain of the answer unless you have access to the mind of the creator, the manufacturer. So science is a necessary contributor to this question of moral reasoning. It tells us the nature of things, but it's not sufficient. Um, Remember that naturalistic fallacy, moving from the is of something to the ought of something. So um, so, uh, we we need purpose. Science isn't going to give us purpose. Now, what other views of ultimate reality um, can we test here? Well, we just have two today. Um, And uh, so what are we going to put at the top of this diagram to give us purpose and then to make our equation complete. Um, So this is the last big question. How does our view of ultimate reality um, affect our moral reasoning? So what big picture of the world, uh, what view of ultimate reality is is going to include the possibility of purpose and good and evil and justice and meaning and these kinds of things? Okay, so everyone here believes in some kind of ultimate reality. Let me me suggest that um, to you. I mean, it might be simply the physical universe. That might be the view of ultimate reality. Um, it might be a creator god. Uh, that might be your view of ultimate reality. But everyone believes in some kind of final backstop to everything. 
Um, and that thing is, by definition, eternal and uncreated. Um, that is, there exists something that has been around forever. Um, whether it's the physical universe or whether it's a, a, a god, um, one way or the other, there's something that's been around forever. Um, and all, and, and there's, that thing is also uncreated. Um, that is, nothing else gives birth to that thing. Uh, it, it's the original instance of being in, in, in the world, or how, I don't know how you say it, in the something, <laughs> the, the universe. Um, and so for naturalism, of course, and, a, and atheism, um, that uh, instance of being is the universe itself. Uh, for Christians, that being is a, is a personal creator God. And so if we, if we start by testing this idea of naturalism, so does naturalism give us the purpose that we need for our moral reasoning? And look, we'll, we'll just um, uh, run through some quotes, and some of them are in your um, outline, from um, well-known sort of public, you know, atheists and, and naturalistic um, uh, people. Um, and um, to just give you an idea of, of what they think about this question. Okay, so um, if the universe is the creator, it's a creator without intention, uh, and like as Richard Dawkins would have said in, in The Blind Watchmaker, for instance. Um, but if there's no intention in operating, uh, in, in operating in the creation of something, well, then we can ask ourselves the question, is there a purpose to it? So let's just see, let's just see what a couple of these guys have to say. Um, so Francis Crick says, you, your joys and your sorrows... Uh, your memories and ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. Um, Philip Adams, who's a local sort of public you know, atheist um, uh, fellow here in Australia, um, the only meaning life has is subjective. What we care to assign to it is individuals or communities, rather like people seeing shapes in a Rorschach plot. We cling to these meanings like drowning people to straws. I believe and have always believed that life is totally meaningless and that we have no destiny, no purpose, no author. We just are, for a little while anyway, and then we aren't. Um, Steven Weinberg says the more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it also seems pointless. Uh, Philip Adams again, clearly if you live in a universe where there's no meaning, there is finally no absolute morality. Um, and uh, Richard Dawkins um, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect, if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Um, well, it's a sunny day outside, but it's uh, <laughs> maybe a little bleak uh, in, in here. Um, but you can see, is this the world that you live in? Is this world that we live in devoid um, of purpose? Is naturalism going to give us the purpose? The, these people think the answer is no. These people think the answer is no. And so um, purpose isn't going to um, isn't going to flow out of naturalism. And, of course, you lose purpose, then you lose the rest of that chain as well. Now, in the Christian world, um, of course, there's a different answer. There's a, a personal, intentional creator. And just um, take a look at this one verse from the New Testament. Um, and the, the hymn there is Jesus. And this gives you an idea of kind of the way the Bible thinks about the universe, infused with purpose. Um, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So this idea that created by him, um, 
And in this case, it's Jesus. We're talking about a person, um, intentional human being, person, um, who Christians also believe is God as well. But also, things were created for him. So there's a purpose for everything in our universe. Um, the Sydney Opera House has a purpose created for Jesus. You uh, were created um, for Jesus. Me. Every, everything and everyone um, has a purpose. Now, so um, uh, I need to let you ask questions, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. Um, but uh, so if we, we, you stick Jesus in for our ultimate view of ultimate reality, and we actually get purpose back. And we, get, we not only get purpose, but we get, of course, the rest of, these, uh, the rest of this little chain back as well. Um, so a couple of implications, and um, I guess, we, yeah, anyway, I'll leave you to ponder your own view of ultimate reality. You can work that out for yourselves. Um, but there's uh, a, couple of, a couple of implications just to run through, and that might spark some questions if I've left you any time to ask them. Um, the implications, number one, is science is not a moral agent, um, but scientists are. <laughs> so so just, be, just be aware that when a scientist says the ice caps are melting, there sh- therefore we should... The first half of that statement may be really good science. The second half of that statement is his own personal opinion about it from his own point of view, his own moral, moral reasoning. Um, the second thing is um, science does not provide access to the purpose of things. And so we do need something else to give us access to that and therefore help us make our, um, engage in our moral reasoning. Um, so scientists um, also shouldn't confuse functionality with purpose. You can ask, I didn't really talk about that. You can ask me about that if you want to. Um, and, but it's good because we need science to do our moral reasoning. It's good actually for science to be going um, broad and deep as possible so that we learn as much as we can about the world to help us um, make good decisions. Uh, and then also, even though ethics is a metaphysical pursuit, um, science is essential, an essential component, and your view about ultimate reality will um, necessarily affect your moral reasoning. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Yep. <laughs> we have some questions coming in. Please Good. feel free to um, SMS your questions to the number. And um, if I can get uh, Jeffrey, if you could stand up. And um, if you have questions, you can write them on a slip of paper. Lewis, can I start with this one? Uh, how does uh, Dawkins uh, and sort of other atheists, mm-hmm. how do they do ethics okay. if they exclude purpose, which is kind of how... You just let it through. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great question. And so th- there's a there's a variety. Uh, uh, look, there, there have been you know people with naturalistic philosophy doing ethics for for well at least hundreds of years, um, if not thousands. Um, and so there's lots of different ways ways in that people have, have attempted to do this um, work work this out. Um, uh, one way is to just is to really kind of conflate. Um, Morality with with um, evolutionary program. So, uh, for instance, uh, Sam Harris, Sam Harris, right? Um, yeah, who um, wrote the End of Faith and also his book called The Moral Landscape. Um, he he says this: um, saving a drowning child is no more a moral duty than understanding a syllogism is a logical one. Now, syllogism is just a little, uh, little basic argument. So the, the the point is, your brain just understands simple arguments. It just it's programmed to understand these nice simple arguments. Um, and the same way, you see a drowning child, you jump in the water and you save them. You're programmed to do that. Morality is is all is not about 
um, uh, something other than your, your programming. So that's one way that, that um, a naturalistic point of view tries to work out in reality, sort of conflates it back with your evolutionary programming. Um, Richard Dawkins himself, he, he uh, works on a, what he calls the moral zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, which is basically like a bell curve of, of humanity and wherever the middle, like wherever most people are on ethical issues in the world, that's what's right. Um, and you might have some people who are out, out in front of that bell curve um, who are doing really good things, especially good things, and you might people lagging behind. So, so Dawkins would say Hitler is someone who lagged behind. The, the world had moved on to a better place, but Hitler was lagging behind, whereas someone like Martin Luther King had, was, was ahead um, of, the, of the spirit of the age and was doing especially good things for his time. But the way you work out what's right is by what most people are, think is right. That's, that's, what he, that's what he would say. Um, that's, that's in his books. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. If I can come yeah. back to it, you, you talked about programming in the brain. Yeah. Doesn't that beg the question how... Like, is there a programmer? Would that be... Oh, like, oh, no, oh no, not really. And so if, if you can get from uh, non-life to life, which is still a big question, frankly. I mean, no, no one's got an answer for that um, yet. Um, if, you, if, you can, if you can naturalistically get from non-life to life, um, that is, you know, kind of a self-replicating <laughs> DNA molecule, and, and then um, the evolutionary scenario takes over, you know, descent, modification, blah, 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 and you get the complexity of life we have now, then that programming is just an accidental reality of, of the evolutionary history. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, another question which we had, which is, and a lot of questions are coming on this purpose idea, because I guess yeah. it's quite important to us. So we can assign our own purpose, whether it's by majority or individually, kind of in your answer there, or a creator can provide our purpose. How do we differentiate between all the voices from history, the right paradigm, or, or the right purpose? How do you go about now? Yeah, um, well, okay, so the, the basic answer, which I think I've said, said once throughout this, is that what you, what you need is access to uh, the mind of the person who who manufactured you, <laughs> who designed you, right? That that's the because uh, that's the, the really the only reliable way of getting the answer to that question. Um, so if purpose is assigned from outside, um, mm-hmm. then it's the it's the creator who who assigns that purpose. And so so really, what you need to work out is who you think the, your creator is, and then ask them. <laughs> However, however, that works, and for Christians, um, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Um, and that is, the, the Bible is God speaking to the world, and so we look there to try and understand the assigned purpose uh, of, for ourselves and, and, and things around us. Uh, but yeah, but you could go elsewhere. You could ask other creators as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Question. Oh, we'll go to one here. Um, ethics reveals what we value, what we believe in. So why do people today put uh, so much faith uh, in science? Is science kind of now a new religion? Uh, I think for some people, for some, I think for some people it is. Um, I think uh, that is um, this idea of scientism, which is which is that. 
science is the only reliable way of learning things about learning anything about the world, and so history doesn't matter, you know, philosophy doesn't matter. Nothing else is going to give you reliable information about the world. Science is the only way. That's scientism, and I think that that particular ism, in a sense, is kind of a, a religion. That's because it's it's your authority for all um, for for everything in your life. Uh, and so, scientism is when you put science in that big. Yeah, that, that ultimate reality um, being. Yeah, that's right. So I, th- I think, in some ways, yeah, there, it, it, there's a religion out there. I mean, we don't all ascribe to it, but that's um, yeah. That's great. Um, cool. And last uh, last question: Is it possible to be uh, to consistently? be a naturalist. You mentioned naturalism. Is it actually possible to consistently be a naturalist? Well, uh, two answers or three. Um, Four. (laughs) I um, well, here's a question back. Is it possible to be consistently anything? (laughs) Um, First of all, uh, let me just show a little bit of humility here because, because we don't any human being doesn't know everything about everything. Even, you know, Christians say that the Bible is God speaking to us. Um, well, that's great. But do you understand everything in the Bible? Um, you know, do you know everything there is to know about God? And so, so I mean, do, does anyone, can anyone live consistently within their own worldview? I'd say probably not. Um, however, um, the, I, I think the implications of the kind of naturalistic worldview really are, uh, really take you into uh, nihilism um, where, where just, th- there is nothing because you can't know anything. Naturalism ultimately means that you can't know anything because the, um, um, if, as Francis Crick says, that all your memories and ambitions and free will is just an assembly of nerve cells fires, you know, firing back and forth each other, well, what makes these nerves you know, these particular molecules different from these molecules in the microphone and the clicker and so on. But what can, how can you know something? It's just these electrical impulses firing that themselves have been programmed by evolution um, and nothing else. And so how, you, you can't know anything when you get into naturalism if you're going to be consistent. And so I think it takes into nihilism, which then um, means that, you know, we wouldn't have buildings like this. <laughs> we wouldn't have business or anything else. Um, and so, so, no, I think naturalism has particular problems um, for a consistent living. Yeah. Thanks, Doris. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you for taking us through that. And I've just got two quick announcements. One, uh, Lewis mentioned we had our event at Town Hall with John Lennox. That was kind of the, one of the highlights for our science month. And I just thought I'd show you some pictures. Uh, so, so you can't see it clearly here, but there were 2,000 people. Uh, so it was a packed, uh, a packed house on the night. Um, and there's uh, Dr. John Lennox being interviewed by an ABC presenter, Jane Hutchins. Uh, and so it was a great night. Um, if you missed out, because uh, it was a sellout, we know that some people couldn't buy tickets. There are a couple of ways where you could still be involved in the conversation, which is ongoing. Uh, firstly, you can go to our website. Uh, John actually went to other capital cities. Uh, one of them was Adelaide, and the uh, video from that session is now on our website. 
that you can go and watch how that discussion unfolded. Can God and science mix? John addressed that, uh, that question, so you can go there. Alternatively, you can uh, follow us on Facebook and we'll be giving updates. The Sydney um, uh, video will be uploaded and it's, it's likely to be shown on the ABC uh, program Big Ideas as well. So we'll be uh, giving people uh, that information. So go to our website or like us on Facebook. Uh, next week is the beginning of a new month and so a slight change in gear but not unrelated. Starting next week, uh, we are asking God questions. Uh, and there is a website, askgod.com.au, where you can type in your question, uh, whatever question that is, and somebody, not God, but somebody, uh, uh, will answer that question uh, you know, within a certain time frame. Uh, so City Bible Forum is one of the partners who are helping uh, sort of uh, 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 this opportunity for anybody and everybody asking questions. What, what's relevant for us here is next week, and for the four weeks uh, in September, we'll be selecting questions uh, from this website to answer in our public forums. So please, you know, grab out your mobile phone, ask a question, and perhaps that'll be the question which Ian Powell, our regular speaker, will come and answer. On Monday, on Facebook and on our website, we'll announce the question that we're selecting. Uh, each week we'll kind of pick, you know, one of the top ones. Uh, one of the popular ones, and you can come and maybe it's a question that connects with you, or perhaps a question that connects with some of your uh, work colleagues. Uh, and so we can all continue, as our tagline is uh, on our banner, to ask the bigger questions. I hope you have a great afternoon, otherwise that finishes this forum, uh, and I'll hopefully see you next week, and hopefully you'll have some questions for God. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.